0: Okay, so um, let's go through some of the core teachings. Um, so there's uh, the core teaching that uh, that is a foundational teaching um, within all the schools of Buddhism is something called the Four Noble Truths. And this is where the Dhamma is pointing us in the direction of being able to see reality moment to moment as it unfolds or to see life as it unfolds in a moment to moment way. So it's not about belief. It's not about doctrine. It's about um, uh, the Dharma offers, offers us practices that help us still the mind so that we can analyze our moment to moment experience and see what's, what's happening and so these four noble truths are um, a way to orient your understanding or orient your mind to see does this meet what you actually experience in a moment-to-moment way. So this is a shared, we're in a shared, I'm inviting us into a shared inquiry right now around is this what it's like? So... I'll teach them, and then I'll give you some time to go outside and just move around a bit and see what you see based on this view. So the first um, noble truth is the truth that pain exists, that being embodied, coming into this human life, means that there's inherent suffering that's part of it. Um, and I like to call it, like, the first noble truth of ouch, in that sometimes when things are really bad, that's just what I practice, like, ouch, ouch. That's my main mantra, my main little note, just ouch, 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 because it helps me stay connected with the truth versus all the other things that my mind wants to do about the ouch. Blame me, blame another person, blame the world, react, try to fix it, do all these other things, which in, at certain times, all those things are things that we need to do. We need to respond to life. In general, uh, what the human does is um, has the second noble truth. <laughs> like the second noble truth is an overdrive, and it is eclipsing the immediate experience of the first noble truth. I'll try to give you an example of this, but let me tell you what the second noble truth is first. So the second noble truth is that there's a path to more suffering. So inherently being human, there's pain. And that also being human, there's a way to increase the amount of pain that you experience. And then the third noble truth is that when you're human, freedom is also possible. Right, and there's a there's a path to increase freedom. So, kind of the mandala of humanness is pain and freedom, and that we have the capacity to increase and decrease each of those based on what we choose in a moment-to-moment way. And the path to more um, pain is when we constrict hold on um of like pull away push on first noble truth or on any on any on life when we block the flow of life we suffer and more and when we can the 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 path to less suffering And eventually I'm told, I don't know this from my direct experience, but eventually I'm told and intuitively I believe the path to no suffering, meaning no second noble truth, not no first noble truth. First noble truth is how it is, but the path to um, completely being out of the cycle of reactivity is the path of this capacity to release, to be open, to allow, to flow, to respond, with wisdom, and wisdom of impermanence, the wisdom that things aren't personal, the wisdom that life is uh, both a combination of beauty and joy. Hold on for some reason. I thought I had it on mute. Now it is. Um, Beauty and joy. So the particular path to freedom or the particular path to release or the particular path to letting go. And I don't, I don't even like saying letting go, but I like the word letting go. It's, Cause it makes us think like, Oh, I just need to let this go. I often hear spiritual people say, I just need to let this go and they're. It's like their second noble truth letting go. Like I should just let go. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't like try to make yourself let go. <laughs> I had this, um, when I was on retreat, I got some news that was really, really hard for me. Like, extremely hard news um, and the way that I just, so I, I, <laughs> I got the news at like 8.30 at night I called a good friend afterwards and you know started talking to her she was like whoa <laughs> your mind is not in a good space she was just like don't believe anything you're thinking I'm like I know And, you know, and I just like, it was just the mind was so reactive, because partially what happens when you're in retreat, when you're, is that both the awakening qualities increase, but also your reactivity increases. So whatever you focus on increases. So I got bad news. It was late at night. My mind was in all sorts of creating all sorts of stories misperceptions it was just doing everything i i knew this it wasn't that i was like oh i'm wise right now no there was no part of me that thought i was wise but i also couldn't stop it right so it was like going 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 and basically finally at 4 30 in the morning my mind came up with a mantra that soothed me so i got a couple hours of sleep like literally a couple hours of sleep. Then I just I went, woke up and went for a hike. I knew the day had come and it's light. And if I move my body, it would move energy. And thankfully, I couldn't get my mind. I knew my mind was out of control. It was, it was out of control. The mantra had helped to soothe me, but it wasn't bringing wisdom in a way that was stable. But what happened was that then I, I got a book out. So like skillful means, and I started reading a book and I was like, okay, this can help me. And I just started mapping based on the like map of this book, what was happening. And that was skillful means. It was like, okay, this is helping me come to more clarity. So I was feeling the quality in my mind was more free and less reactive. So it was like, okay, I'm on the path to less freedom, right? And then my girlfriend walked in the door because I called her and told her what happened. And she lives 30 minutes away. So she came. And I immediately go into the story, and she looked at me and she said, "Aaron, no one is going to believe you're a victim in this situation. It's just too funny. Stop it. And she went in and just like for 20 minutes just started like naming. I mean, she'd been with me in this whole process. She just started naming what she saw. And at one point halfway through, I looked at her and I said, Whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. My life depends on it. (laughs) And she just kept going, kept going, kept going, kept going, kept going. Wise view. So she came in with wise view, wise understanding, and my system could settle. I literally got my phone out and said, we need to record you. Because when you leave, I'm going to lose it. I'm not going to be able to keep this stable. My, My mind's too reactive. This is too hard. I'm not going to be able to... And I wasn't. She left, and within 30 minutes, my nervous system was dysregulated again, and my mind was spinning off in the other stories. I tell you this story because I've been doing this for 20 years, right? This was a really intense situation that what I described was every single part of my ego like every single little traumatic thing that's ever happened to me this situation punk pinged in some way like there was no ground for my ego to stand on it was just obliterated obliterated by this situation and most of us know we went through one or two of those in our life where it's, there's no ground to stand on it's just dukkha it's just the situation was just painful was extremely painful situation for me and it hurt a lot and so my practice was to surrender to the pain to just letting the pain open me to just acknowledging this was seriously excuse me effing hard like this was really hard I really didn't want this situation in my life I really didn't want my life to unfold this way. I really didn't want this thing to be happening. And it was. And it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. I literally spent two weeks laying on a beach, laying in my little window. Just, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. The repetitive blame, the repetitive obsession, the repetitive, just, just and just watching it go watching it go, watching it go, just letting it, letting it play itself out. So just because we have wisdom does not mean that reactivity, that the second noble truth doesn't arise in us. What it means is that we have greater clarity of what's unfolding. That when we're reactive, we can be like, I'm super reactive. So this person, it was a, it was a relational situation and I, I told the person, I can't talk with you right now because it's going to be too pain. I will react and I don't want to react. I need a little bit of separation in order to go through what I'm going through. Right. So I I created a break so I wouldn't cause more harm. Um, But there was no, there wasn't a part of me that thought what was happening was wisdom. You know, I could tell when wisdom would come and it was fleeting. What was stronger was the reactivity. In some way, I think it felt that way. I don't know that. I don't know if the reactivity was actually stronger. I can say the reactivity was louder. I don't know that the reactivity was stronger. It was louder. So, <clears throat> um. So one of the the key thing here is the 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 truth of choice that we have a choice of, we have the choice to, um, we have the choice both to um, see from this lens and then we also have the choice of how we respond. And then we have the choice of how we respond to how we responded. So there would be times, I mean, my mind would like make up these stories of how the thing it was going to do. And I, one of my patterns is like to seem like I'm nice, but really do something mean you know I Like, do you know what I'm saying? you can just say something a little bit mean, but it seems nice. So like, I had a few of those like, Oh, I know I'll go. I'd imagine myself going into this situation and saying this one thing to some person. And I knew it really hurt this other person and, but it wouldn't look like it hurt them. And you know what I'd, be thinking I'm going to do that for like a day. And then I'd be like, no, you're not going to do that. You know, but I, I'd like have that plan and I'd be telling myself, oh, that's good. You know, that's a wise thing to do. So it's not even like always, I knew I wasn't wise, but like in a deeper level, I knew it wasn't wise. Does that mean, you know, when you're like kind of tricking yourself around wisdom, just trying to describe like how subtle this all can be. It's not like so cut and dry. So the, the main point in, of all of this is that both we, can, we have the choice to see in this way, and then we have the choice in how we respond. And that as humans, um, we're not going to get through this life without pain, and that the more that we think that we've done something wrong or that life should not be painful, the more suffering that we're creating for ourselves so that's, the fir- that's really some of the wisdom of the first insight, is that life is just painful. Like, this situation happened. I can't, it can't not happen. The wisdom of the second noble truth is that, it's, and this is where, when it, we think about systemic impression, the second noble truth that there are these, these systems, right, internally I describe this system that wanted to contract around my experience, change my experience, but there's patriarchy, white supremacy, misogyny um, homophobia ableism all these are systemic forms of the second noble truth systemic ways that we contract around reality that cause immense suffering and then there's freedom right there's there's like the way that there's other things that like it's not this world is not only oppressive systemic forces there's also, liberative forces there's also liberative systems you know there's also you know these great the what um joanna macy calls the great turning that we're that we're in the time of both the great unraveling and the great turning that there's all sorts of consciousness movements and social activist movements and new economies and global responses that are creatively emerging right now as we speak spirit rock the dharma you know that we have access like right now to so much spiritual teaching it hasn't been like this since I think uh like nine hundred like during the pala period, right like nine hundred like nine hundred between the ninth ninth and twelfth centuries, yeah, that's how you know we haven't had this much access to this many spiritual lineages and teachings, and even now probably more than then, although it's hard to say, given. You know, anyways, it's just, this is very rare to have this much access to consciousness. So there's a lot happening systemically that's liberative, and there's also a lot happening systemically that's not liberative. So when we think of oppression, and I'm pretty sure, I hope I've made this clear already, but let me just go through this slide. When we think about oppression and change, so oppression meaning second noble truth, change meaning um fourth noble truth right oppression meaning that which squelches down and change meaning that which liberates because one of the truths of um reality is that we're constantly in flux we're constantly in change everything's always in motion everything's always in flow you could say the four levels of oppression and flow four levels of oppression and change so the first level like we talked about is the personal how these systemic forces how flow affects us personally the second is interpersonal how it affects us relationally and then the third is how it affects us culturally or institutionally does anyone have any questions about that I feel like I've went over that so much already but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily clear okay great so, I don't think I'm going to teach on that right now. I'm going to go here. So, this is from Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, which is one of the clinical, um, I'm a licensed therapist, one of the clinical treatments that I was trained in. This is, this is uh, you probably know exactly what it is, because you still teach it. I don't know exactly what it is, but this is paraphrase. It's like, What we have experienced in our past is not our fault, but it's our responsibility. And it's be the same as what we've experienced in our lives is not our fault, but it's our responsibility of how we respond to it and how we live with it and how we hold it. So the fact that I'm a woman and I live within patriarchy sucks. It just does, it totally sucks. The fact that I'm white and live within white supremacy, it also sucks. No one is served by whiteness. Whiteness doesn't help anyone. Um, it's a form of impression. oppression. Whiteness affects people of color more to a greater degree um, than white people, but it sucks for all of us. Patriarchy sucks for all of us, and we're all responsible for how we change that. No one's outside of that responsibility. Now, I would like if men would take more responsibility of patriarchy than women, I would like if white people took more responsibility Of racism than people of color. It doesn't seem to unfold that way. It seems to unfold that the people that um feel the impact have more motivation to change. What is interesting to me is a concept called intersectionality, which is that um when we get in touch with the our own ways of where we've been oppressed we start to have compassion and motivation to use our positions where we have power to impact change where we don't have power. Does that make sense? So when I understood, when I know I grew up blue collar, I grew up as a woman, so there's, especially growing up blue collar, and in the particular, I grew up in Detroit, so I have a a very um, visceral sense. My father was a tool and die maker. There was a visceral sense that I was um, not as good as people that lived um, 45 minutes from me. I was different. I wasn't, I wasn't as clean. I wasn't as um, worthy. I wasn't as uh, smart. Um, there were all these kind of ways that I kind of just grew up knowing that the people where I was from weren't as something as these other people. And that's a visceral experience that I grew up with. And so because I've had that visceral experience, when I started to learn about other forms of oppression that I didn't uh, experience, like when I started to learn about racism or when I started to learn about ableism, there was a way that because I understood what it was like to be oppressed, I had a compassion and, a, and an insight that then had me be very motivated to learn, to get caught up and to start to act on behalf of those use my privilege as a white person to act on um, in service of collective liberation does that make sense? so the more that we can understand these forces and how they impact us in my mind ideally then we start to act on behalf of all we're getting into like the bodhisattva ideal idea that our life and our power and our position can be of service to all beings. So what we've experienced in our past is not our fault, but it is our responsibility. And how we position ourselves, how, what place we put ourselves in the, what our passion is or what our soul's purpose is or how we serve, um, we can think about strategically based on what systemic forces are happening right now in the world and what's needed based on that. Okay, so that's a lot of information. I wanna see, um, is there any questions or any comments or any thoughts and just remembering multicultural agreements, anything that's arising? Okay, I know I said we'd go and do a break. Do people feel like you need a break? It's been about a half hour of talking. Anyone need a break? I'm sort of drawn to do an inquiry, do a guided practice. Okay, let's stand up and just shake out for a minute. <clears throat> people don't really fall asleep talking about these topics it's not easy to fall asleep all right what'd you say yeah of course don't run just just walk gently and just come back and you'll be fine all right go ahead and have a seat Okay, so... What I'm going to invite you to do is I'm going to invite you to pick something that's emerged for you over the course of today or some area where you feel some kind of holding. Like I gave the example of getting this information that was quite painful. Now that was like on a scale from a 1 to 10. That was like a 15. (laughs) It might not be the best idea for you to pick the 15 today. And it might be, I'm open, you know, I'm like, you want to pick the 15? I'm here till 4.30, (laughs) let's do it. But um, it can be actually pretty skillful to pick something that's not that extreme in order to be able to learn the process. That being said, if there's something that's really up for you and it's just cycling through your mind, you're here at Spirit Rock, it's a beautiful day, you can take a walk afterwards, you know, you don't need to, like, go and... uh, a bunch of stuff this evening it's a good place to to open up to something that's more difficult so use your own discernment your own wisdom and what what you choose i'm going to ask you to pick one thing and we're going to go through what's called rain so in the process of opening to life what um what often happens in meditation practice is that we think we're supposed to be still. We think we're supposed to be quiet. And meanwhile, there's like something that's wanting our attention and we just keep pushing it away and thinking it shouldn't be there. Actually, in meditation practice, we're stilling the mind or collecting the mind so that the, whatever that is that's sticky can naturally release a little bit and ideally naturally release completely. So it's this process of almost like unwinding. It's a process of like a deep letting go. And it turns out stillness, being quiet, being in nature, being with other people who are also silent, being with other people who also are committed to non-harming helps that. (laughs) Um, So what I'm going to invite you to do is we're going to do this process called RAIN where after a day of. morning and uh, afternoon of settling will practice opening to something consciously opening the heart and mind to it now within the meditation practice if you were practicing say and you collect and unify the mind you collect and unify the mind and something keeps coming up over and over again this you would apply this practice to it a practice of opening to the difficulty or opening to the beauty either way so let me. <coughs> All right. So, the first is recognizing that you're experiencing something. So, <clears throat> say I have this thought. Uh, where is where are they from in my mind? The first thing uh, racism wants to do is say, I'm not racist. I'm not racist. I didn't have that thought. It's actually really radical to recognize I just had a thought that does not flatter my sense of who I am, right? Another thing, oftentimes, we don't feel comfortable with something like anger, People, I was, I'm a therapist and people come into my office and they'll say, I'm not angry. I'm like, what are you pissed about? We're telling ourselves I'm not angry, but really we are angry, right? So it, this first step of recognize is, it sounds like, oh yeah, just recognize. No, this is the, the, one of the main forms that the second noble truth or tanha functions is that we're telling ourselves one thing is true when something else is actually true. We're telling ourselves this situation is actually manageable. We're saying, you know what? Living within capitalism is actually manageable. The premise of capitalism is that we can keep consuming and it's just going to keep working. The the very premise of our economic system is not based in wisdom. It's not working. It never worked. It's never going to work. It's diluted, it's completely diluted. You can say it's social capitalism, you can say, uh, you can, you can add all these fix to it. The premise of it is not based in reality. Our, so we live in a world that is telling us things are wise, that aren't wise. And it's like, it's the sea we swim in. We experience a deep knowing the immediate thing that happens is, oh, no, that isn't true. You walk into a room, and you're like, that person is not, I shouldn't go near that person. Oh, no, no, it's fine. You don't listen to it. You feel you have like an insight about what your soul's purpose is. No, I can't do that. You immediately invalidate it. That is the function. That is, that is the way these systems operate. So the recognition, like if you just spent a year recognizing, 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 from my view, the way that I see reality, that would be a very, 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 very strong political act. Because what does that mean? People are going to come and start to tell you what they know, because you're someone who can be with what you know. You see what I'm saying? Like that and that's the first step. Like the first step is we have to recognize both these external systems are not are not are not going in the direction of freedom. And then we have to notice how these systems within ourselves are not going in the direction of freedom. And then we have to notice how these the way that we relate, the way power, right? Okay, no, it's fine that in my corporation, this the way, you know, how the corporation acts is power over not power with no, that wasn't that bad. What that person just said to me wasn't that bad. No, it was. It was awful. It was cruel. That was cruel what just happened. Like feeling the impact of the cruelty. Working in one organization that I worked with, I remember being in a situation where uh, a colleague, there were two, there was a white, um, manager and a person of color manager and this um, report was saying I don't feel safe I don't feel understood by the person and it was a white um, person who was speaking the report I don't feel safe and I don't feel understood by the person of color but I do feel safe and I do feel understood by the white person and I because I had been trained in like um, oppression and racism could clearly see that racism was functioning, and it was very. It wasn't. It wasn't a question. Is this racism? It's just no. This is racism. This person has internalized our cultural views, and they're experiencing them, and they're expressing them, and they don't know that they're doing it. There, there's no bad intention. They're just expressing cultural views, and it's impacting all of us in a way that doesn't serve life. It was very clear to me. And so the next step is that I went to the two people um, that it was being expressed by and talked with them and then met with the woman of color. And she was like, no, I don't think, yeah. I mean, I had the thought maybe it was racism, but, and I was, no, that was racism. It was racism. This is how racism functions. And she just started crying. It's like, oh, my gosh, thank you for seeing what it was. It was too painful for her to see it alone, even though her system, she was walking me. she's like, oh, maybe that was racism. So she had the thought, but she couldn't totally mean it on her own and having someone else who could validate it. And then we could then we could work together to collaborate. We're both committed to non-harming. We both knew we were in service of this person. We were in the position of power. So how could we support this person in, in their goals in a way that was going to create less impact and less harm over time, right? So recognizing, the capacity to recognize. It sounds small. It's not. It's radical. The second then is once we recognize to allow. So in this example of my friend, when my friend had the recognition, oh, this could be racism, she wasn't able to allow. At that point, she said no. She invalidated it. So the next step is once we recognize something to say, okay, let me feel the impact. Now, it's important, this is a little bit tricky because allow, we want to allow, particularly the first noble truth, we want to allow the pain, but we also want to allow with discernment, right? So if we allow and we're just like violent, you know, that's allowing with violence isn't wisdom. We're allowing... And then, like, what I was saying, like, I was allowing the pain, but at the same time I knew a lot of the thoughts that were happening as well were not wise, and I kept delving in deeper. Okay, this is aggression. This is hurt. This is blame. This is, you know, so you keep allowing, keep letting the process unfold and keep trying to stay really, really close to the direct experience and use wisdom, and that's in the investigation, the third part, to see what of this is, like, like first normal truth and one of this is second normal truth. What if what of this is reactivity. Now, what I'd like to do with this investigate. So we allow, and then we investigate is broaden it out in a systemic way. So we don't just ask the question, like what are, you know, what are my thoughts about myself or reality? We also ask, okay, what are some of the systemic forces at play? You know, the fact that I have chronic pain, Could it have to do with the fact that I drink uh, the water in a blue collar area of Detroit that um, has one of the most polluted water systems uh, in the country? You know, I grew up 20 minutes from Flint. You think? There could be some cultural influences to the reason why I have chronic pain. That brings compassion. It also brings a little bit of fierceness, you know, like, you know, brings some energy to my life. Um what are the in, interpersonal factors at play? You know, who, who holds power in this situation? Like in this situation that my friend and I were in, we, even though this um, person was white and held power from a position of whiteness, her and I were in a leadership position. So, and we were going to work towards compassion towards this person, even though we were, of course, even you know, even though we were seeing some um, internalized and externalized racism. What are cultural factors at play? So that we're widening, our, we're widening our inquiry out to see what are some of the forces that could be at play um, that are not just personal and not just interpersonal, but structural and cultural. And ideally, what this leads to is not blame in a sense of being disempowered, although it can initially, is that we feel more energy to work towards Addressing the cultural and systemic factors. Okay. And then the fourth process is, or the fourth thing that really kind of happens, uh, can happen spontaneously, is that when we start to see things at play, we start to take them less personally. So when we start to really feel the ouch in our lives, there's almost like a, like, what, Corey talked about when she, like, oh, there's when I touch the knowing, there's like a release, like a tenderness. That was a moment of non-identification. She stopped being identified with the wanting everything perfect, and there was a release, a softening. So sometimes it can happen like that, where there's like a kind of more, it was kind of a big release in a way, like that was the primary experience. And other times, like in my example, there was just like a little bit less pain. Like, when I could stay in touch with this hurts, instead of being 80% consumed by the pain, I was 78% consumed by the pain. You know, <laughs> we weren't getting, like, a ton of traction, but we were getting a little bit of traction. And then over time, it was like, okay, it's 60%, it's 50%, it's 40%. You know, it was decreasing gradually over time, not quickly. So, But you want to be on the lookout for that because, um Because as things release, it's reinforcing, you know, I could see, okay, there's less pain, keep going, there's less pain, keep going, or I didn't sleep last night, and now there's more pain. So I need to, like, I would fold down my bed, I wouldn't sleep one night, and then I'd like fold down my bed, have my pajamas out, like do all these things to make sure that I would get to bed that night and get a good night's sleep, because if not, I knew I was going to have a whole other day of intense suffering, All right, so begin like we've always begun. So first, just checking in with your motivation. Good. And then this time, what I'm going to invite you to do is imagine a circle of support around you. So imagine it could be a place that you're surrounded by a particular place that you love, It could be a group of people, like people who you have a fairly uh, simple relationship with, like uncomplex relationship, but that love you. It could be animals. It could be children. It could be adults. But imagine these people surrounding you. And then imagine that they start to radiate love towards you. So you're surrounded by this circle, and love is just radiating in all directions towards you. And at any point in time, you can go back to this. So when we're in the process, if something opens up and it's like, okay, I need to titrate, I need to take a break, just come back to this circle of support radiating love towards you. And then invite this image to dissolve, but the feeling can stay, the image dissolves. And then I invite you to bring up a situation that you want to work with. And then when you have a situation, nod your head so I know you have something. Great. So if there's a few things that you have to choose from, just pick one. Just pick it. Good. Good. All right, so this is the first step. You're recognizing that something is on your heart, you know, and this gets just—it's like something's on your heart, something's working your heart, and that's just true. And so, just really appreciate, really appreciate yourself for having the courage to open to, to recognize something's on my heart. Something's, something's churning here. There's some ouch that's happened. It's looking for some resolutions, looking for some release. And there's an intelligence to that. That you're an innately intelligent human being. And that the essence of what is being asked for here is love. The essence of what's being asked for here is love. And it's an act of courage to recognize it in order to begin the process of bringing kindness and tenderness and compassion towards this ouch. Even if it's so murky and so complicated you can't see your way through it yet. As an act of care to recognize it even for just a few moments. So the second step is now not for two days, not for even an hour. Just for the next few minutes, you are going to practice... Allowing what you've recognized to impact you. You're going to invite allowing yourself to open to and be impacted by this particular ouch. And a great mantra is like, what else? What else? What else? Just keep inviting. Yeah, tell me more. What else? Tell me more. In this process, tears are so welcome. Tears are so welcome. So just really relaxing the jaw, opening the mouth. You Also, if you're not crying, that's welcome too. It's not like you need to cry. Don't feel pressure. It's just whatever is emerging. Trust the intelligence of your being That's exactly what needs to happen in order to just release and open. For some, when we start to recognize and allow, there's a sense of numbness, a sense of like kind of like a kind of stunted stillness. It's not a stillness with motion. It's like a numbness. So you just be like numb. For others, it's like intense body sensation. So just noticing, opening, allowing. There's no wrong experience. There's just what's unfolding right now. And then starting to investigate, like, where do you feel this most in the body? Where do you feel it most in the body? And if it's intense and you don't want, it doesn't feel wise to intensify it, feel the outskirts of it. If it's more like you want to kind of understand it more deeply, go right to the center of where it's at in the body. Like find exactly where it is, place your hand there and drop the consciousness right into the center and just rest there, settle there, open there. So what are the body sensations? Is it warm, cool, pulsing, tingling? What is its emotional tone? Fear, numb, sad, angry, hurt, shame, confused. Are there cultural factors at play? And you wouldn't like look for these. You just drop the question and just let reality just open. Are there cultural factors at play here? Are there institutional factors at play here? It might be the first time you're ever asking this question, so just asking the question has an impact in your mind. Don't search. Just allow the question to just live in you. You could be in the grocery store two days from now and get an answer. It doesn't need to be right now. What about yourself or reality do you believe from the point of view of these body sensations? What about yourself or what about reality do you believe from the point of view of this pain or this body sensation or this situation? What do you personally believe about yourself? Or what do you believe about reality? And again, don't search. Something just might emerge from the depths and know it, see it, recognize it, open to it. And then just, is there any sense of disidentification? Is there any sense of care or nourishment or kindness that arises in this process? Is there a view that you saw that brings some, like, relief or insight? Or is there a breath that goes into the body sensations and it feels just like it's not alone there any kind of nourishment and if no it's you just know that it's fine but just know it like oh this one is sticky just know we're, I'm not even getting going from 80 to 78 <laughs> just being with this actually increases it and that's information and then you can keep going if you would like or you can dissolve it. like it might naturally let go or you can dissolve the process so just invite this whole process to dissolve into white light you just like have everything just dissolve into white light invite the whole thing just to dissolve into white light feel into your body And then feeling back into your motivation. What brought you here? If you're going and it's like juicy, keep going. But if it just going back to the sincerity of your motivation. Feeling the goodness of that. And then again, opening out to space. Like, feel the space all around you. The beauty of the land. The support of all the staff at Spirit Rock who work pretty tirelessly to support these programs. Joyfully and tirelessly are serve these conditions for us to be here. I feeling the support, the care.
1: And then remembering your
0: circle, thanking them. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit DharmaSeed.org slash Donate.